So, if you were born between, before the year 2000, you've seen this movie. If you're born after the year 2000, you're like, where's this sci-fi stuff? Raise your hand if you've seen this movie before. Yeah, as I expected, about half. Um, that is uh, Indiana Jones. And what's so funny is uh, right before this service, uh, the person who's doing the Spanish translation in the back, uh, her name is Juvia, and I came walking through and I said, are you ready for this third service? She says, yes. And she goes, I saw what you have out there. I said, do you know what that is? She goes, yes. And if I'm not a Levite and I touch it, I'm going to die. <laughs> and I said, yeah, clearly you know what it is. So this is uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to be teaching on a series called The Second Ark. Uh, because God asked for two arks to be made. The first ark... He looked at Noah and said, I want you to build me an ark. And inside of that ark, I want you to protect your family and protect the animals. And then he made another ark or had another ark designed. And he looked at Moses and he says, I want you to build an ark. And I want you to protect and I want you to keep the Ten Commandments inside of that ark. Now, this ark had very... Um, specific guidelines on how it was to be built. Um, the type of wood that was supposed to be used was acacia wood, and it was overlaid with gold. Uh, the only people who could lift the ark up and, and move it were the Levites. And uh, if you touched that ark and you weren't a Levite, <laughs> all over and uh and probably not next week but the week after that we're going to talk about a guy who touched the ark um and we're going to talk about a guy who um the king asked him to leave the ark in his house he says i'll be right back i'm gonna leave this in your house could you imagine if you had to leave this in your living room? And I'm like, I'll be back. And he was the poorest guy in town. And then just a few weeks later, he was the richest guy in town. This is the difference between not having the presence of God saturating you versus saturating you. When God is a part of something, everything comes to life and everything grows. You know that something is healthy when it's growing. When a marriage is healthy, it's growing. When a marriage is not unhealthy, it doesn't sit in neutral. It's either growing or it's dying. When you're in a career that is going awesome, the only reason why it's going awesome is because you're growing. And so this is what the presence of God does. It saturates everything in your life. Imagine standing outside, if I'm on one side of the parking lot and you're on the other side of the parking lot and it starts raining, we're both getting wet. Because when it rains, everything gets wet. And just imagine when the presence of God is pouring on your life, everything experiences it. Your health experiences it, your finances, your relationships. 
And so in those days, the presence of God was not everywhere like it is today. In those days, it only showed up in this general vicinity right here, which is called the mercy seat. And the only person that could pray right here was a priest. And when the priest would pray, the power of God would ascend or descend. Um, and they kept this ark inside of a tent. They called it the tent of tabernacle. And any time the priest would pray in that tent, a pillar of fire would appear above that tent. And everyone would come out and they would watch this pillar of fire that would rest upon that tent. Now, how many of you would have loved to have been that priest with a pillar of fire above your head? Say, I. Three people. Awesome. <laughs> how many of you think about it? You're praying and a pillar of fire appears above your head. How many of you would enjoy that? Say, I. I. Four of you. <laughs> Let me see if I can illustrate this. I need a volunteer. It's always interesting because we don't really volunteer. We pick. James, come on up here. <laughs> so let's just imagine that James is standing right here. He's at home. Uh, he slips into a bedroom where the family isn't. He needs God bad. So he goes into a room. He shuts the door. He raises his hands. Closes his eyes and he starts praying and the exact same thing that happens to you happens to him. He starts thinking about 12 different things right away. <laughs> starts thinking about 14, I got to go get the milk, I got to go, I forgot to mow the grass, da, 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 da. So incidentally, that happens to me for about 10 to 15 minutes when I walk into a room. And so what I always do every time I pray is I always, without fail, I will not start praying unless I have a pad of paper and a pen. I will go find a pad and paper and a pen before I start praying because I am going to think about 17 different things. I'm like, squirrel, uh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So what I do, everything I think, I just write it down. Go get milk, mow the grass, tell Allie, blah, 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 blah. Write it down. Once I write it down, it's out of my head. Then I can pray. So James has his hands up. He's going to pray and he's focusing as hard as he can on praying. He's saying maybe even the same sentence over and over again, and that's okay because God hears more than your words. Your words may be saying the same words over and over again, but your spirit is saying way more than that. And so he's saying it, and he's got his hands in the air. Now, some of you may say, do you really got to have your hands in the air? No, but he loves it. God loves it when your hands are in the air. How do I know that? Because he put it in his word. He said, everyone, everywhere, when you worship, worship with your hands raised. So if he wants our hands raised, if he likes that, if he likes that outward expression of an inward emotion of I surrender, if that's what he wants and he's our God, then guess what? Ba-boom! <laughs> right? Bang! And so James has is, is got his hands in the air and he's worshiping. Now realize this, when the priest was over here and he was worshiping, what appeared over his head? 
fire. And about four of us in this room said, that would be cool. The rest of y'all were like, I don't know. But that doesn't happen anymore. This is what happens now. Not just for the priests, but for everybody. When your hands go up, in Psalms 34, 7, it says that the angel of the Lord surrounds those who fear him and delivers him. So when your hands go up, an angel comes down. Now realize this. You may say, when I pray, I can put animals to sleep because I almost put myself to sleep when I pray. I'm not a very powerful prayer. I don't know how to say that. Prayer. I'm a, are you a powerful prayer? Yeah, spell that. E-R-E-R? <laughs> right, so, Catherine, you're an attorney. How you work that out? Prayer? Uh, prayer. When I pray, uh, and then I have to reword the whole sentence so I don't have to use that word. So, every time you pray, Every single time you pray, whether it's one word or it's 57,000 words, as soon as those hands go up, if you think that you don't have it, you can't feel any fire when you're praying and your emotion, your, your, your faith is thin as paper, never forget this. Your emotions lie to you. Don't trust your emotions. Your brain cannot conceive what is happening in the supernatural. Just open your mouth and pray. Someone say, got it. Thank you. Thank you. So there are a few things that take place while the Ark of the Covenant in your life is being exercised. What do I mean by that? The Ark of the Covenant, nobody knows where it is right now. There's lots of debates. Some people say that it's, it's under uh, the Temple Mount. Some people say that there's an Ethiopian Orthodox church that has it locked up somewhere. Some people say that Jeremiah, one of the major prophets, hid it in a cave. Nobody knows exactly where it is. But in Revelations, God told John, in heaven, there will be an ark. The Ark of the Covenant will be there. But what's cool, so awesome to see you, Jana. What's cool is that the Ark of the Covenant is not necessary today because you have taken the Ark of the Covenant's place. You are the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy Spirit resides in you. Watch this. Let me read this to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? He doesn't, ha- he doesn't need the Ten Commandments because, watch this, Jeremiah 31, 33, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's not on stone anymore. 
You'll be driving in the car, you'll be walking in the house, you'll be going to sleep, you'll be between, you'll be between that place of sleep and awake, and you will feel the presence of God. God doesn't always use words. He'll pull you with your feelings and emotions and guide you. Have you ever said, I just don't feel like I should do that? It's God pulling you and drawing you. Paul said this in the last verse of 2 Corinthians. He said this in verse 14 of chapter 13. He says, oh, that you would have communion with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've always thought that communion was the wafer in a little cup of grape juice that we're calling wine, which means the blood of Christ, and that's communion. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I want you to have communion. And the Greek word for communion is koinonia. Koinonia. Let's say that on three. One, two, three. If you're new here, you're saying, man, there's a lot of interaction. Absolutely. Why? Because I like the sound of your voice more than I like the sound of mine. All right. So let's say koinonia on three. One, two, three. See, now you know Greek. See, what, what Greek is, I'm, pray, I'm praying for gay, by the way. Um, what, what Greek, uh, what koinonia means is there's three words. Number one is that it's fellowship. Number two, partnership. Number three, intimacy. Fellowship, partnership, and intimacy. What Paul is saying is, he goes, I want you to have fellowship. I want you to have partnership. I want you to have intimacy. Because the Holy Spirit is no longer confined to one specific area. It is on the inside of you. And what I want you to do is I want you to have fellowship. I want you to have partnership. And I want you to have intimacy. What is fellowship? Fellowship is like this companionship of sharing together. Now, what's interesting is in Acts chapter 20, you read about these apostles and disciples, and there's this constant conversation between the Holy Spirit and these disciples from city to city. Don't go there. Do go there. Don't go there. Go there. Don't go there. Do go there. I'll never forget uh, when Allie and I started the church 13 years ago. Uh, We lived in Kingwood. And we felt compelled to start a church here in the woodlands. And so it was like a 50-minute drive. And at the same time, I was working a sales job on the south side of Houston. And Allie was a realtor, which means everywhere. And finally, after two years of the church starting over here, we were like, we cannot make this drive anymore. We need to move to the woodlands. So we decided to build a house. And so we went and we put the down payment and signed the contract. They put the, con- the, the slab down, started putting bricks up, started putting the cabinets in. And I'm walking around the block late at night, every night. God, do you want me? Do you want us? Oh, do you want us to buy this house? Have you ever already done something? <laughs> and then like, God, is this what you want me to do? I've already signed the contract. Like, God, is this, is this what you want me to do? Is this what you want us to do? Have you already done something like, God, bless this house? Do you want me to have this house? Well, it's too late now, so just go ahead and bless it. 
God bless this house. I was so full of anxiety. And I was like, God, will you just say yes or say no? I don't care about the house, but just say yes or say no. Put fire in the sky. Have you ever said that? Just tell me. I don't care. I'll do yes or no. I don't care, but just tell me what you want for all that's good and holy. And uh, right at the, we, our church was meeting in an elementary school at the time, and all of a sudden the Woodlands High School became available, and so we moved from the elementary school to the Woodlands High School, but the rent increased. And so Allie and I had to take a pay cut from the church in order to be able to afford the high school. So we took a pay cut from the church so the church could afford it, but that meant we couldn't get the house. I was not sad. I was like, thank you, God, for telling me what you want us to do, because that was a no-brainer, right? That was a no-brainer, like, duh. So, but I remember, because in every single season, whether it's a good season or a bad season, in every single season, there's always a blessing and there's always a lesson. And if you don't know what the blessing is, ask yourself, what's the blessing from this season? And if you ask yourself that question, the brain is a very unique organ. If you ask it a question, it answers you. It's crazy. If you ask yourself, what is the blessing that came out? It will answer you. If you ask yourself, what's the lesson? It will answer you. And I'll never forget that I know now when I feel that level of anxiety, when I feel that on the inside of me, I know that God doesn't want me to go in that direction. And that's what I learned. So every single time I feel that, why am I using that illustration? Because when God has fellowship with you, he won't always tell you, he will feel you. Are you with me? You'll feel the anxiety and then you'll go, okay, now that I, every time I feel that, I know God doesn't want me to go in that direction. God does not always have to use words to communicate. And if you're married, you don't need an example. (laughs) Number two is partnership. One time Jesus got lost. And when I say the word partnership, I'm talking about an associate in business. When Jesus was 13, his parents lost him, which makes you go, what is wrong with you, Mary and Joseph? If you were in charge of Jesus, is there any possible scenario that you take him to the mall and lose him? Like at least put a little rope on his back. At least put some shoes on him and go, quick, 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 quick. You don't lose Jesus. For two days, no less. See, they, they let me... They left him at the mall, drove all the way back home, and then lived for two days. I feel like we lost something. I can't quite feel. Oh, our kid. They go back. <laughs> they get Jesus. And they said, what have you been doing? And Jesus said, I have been about my father's. Let me hear you. I've been about my father's. Business. See, when God created the world and he spun the planet, he's got people walking around. He is looking at this planet and he's looking at this earth that this is a business and he is in partnership with you to do something on this planet. While we're living, he's not playing pool with planets. He He is doing, there's business to be done. And you are his business partner. 
And the people you live life with are the people that he is trying to influence using you. You're in business with the Lord. And at some point in everyone's life, you have this moment where you are no longer enamored with anything that this world has to offer you anymore. doesn't matter if you get a $20,000 raise, a $100,000 raise, things, even though it will help you and take pressure off of you, it doesn't enamor you anymore. Because when you're designed by a creator that's outside of this world, you will always crave things this world cannot offer you. That you have a divine assignment to partner with God. Number three is intimacy. When you think about the idea of intimacy, the disciples in Acts chapter 15, verse 28, they said these words. We made this decision because it seemed good with us and the Holy Spirit. They didn't say that the Holy Spirit said it was good. They said that it seemed like it was good. So the Holy Spirit didn't actually say it. It seemed good. See, when you're close to somebody, they don't have to actually say it. If Allie and I go to dinner tonight, we're at a restaurant, she stands up and uses the restroom, and all of a sudden they come back, and they set a drink down at the table. They set an appetizer down at the table. We didn't order it, but let's say the manager said, hey, we know you guys, this is your first time. We want to just say welcome to the restaurant, and they set it down. I can look at it and be like, I don't think Allie's going to like that. I don't think she's going to like that. In fact, I can tell you right now, I'll say thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. But I'm going to like push it off the table. Because I don't need to talk with Allie. I've lived with her for 17 years. Wonderful years. I don't need to talk to her. I don't need to say, let me go to the restroom. Hey, Allie, is that you in under there? Hey, they just said, I already know what she likes and what she doesn't like. I can say I can represent her because I've lived with her closely for 17 years. Now watch this. You and I can get in a car and say, let's go to Muscle Beach in California, which is 20 hours away. You get in the car. I get in the car. I turn on the radio and you and I don't say a word. We drive all the way there. We drive all the way back. And I don't know you any more than I knew you before we got in the car. Why? Because we can be around each other and never get to know each other. It's a level of intimacy. And you will go through certain seasons where you will feel on the inside of you the Holy Spirit saying, I'm ready for more of you. I'm ready to be closer to you. I experienced that this morning. I was in my office. Uh, My alarm goes off at 5.15 in the morning. My coffee machine goes off at 5 a.m., Because when I get up, that puppy's blazing hot. And I'm like, okay, why am I awake? Oh, my God. Um, so I get up. You didn't need all that. I get up. I get my coffee this morning. I'm in my office. 
I get on the carpet and I'm praying. And I'm telling God, Lord, people are coming to church today because they want to meet with you. They're not coming because they want to hear somebody speak. They're coming because they want to meet with you. So you have to be here. You have to be here. You have to be here. And I said, oh, and another thing, I want more of you too. I'm not just praying on behalf of you guys. I want more too. And all of a sudden I felt myself, I thought, man, I feel like I've been in the same space in the same zone with the Lord for a couple of weeks. I need to get out of this comfort zone because there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. Like, I got to get out of this. I got to get, I got to shake myself. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go on a fast Tuesday morning. Bang, I'm going to go on a fast. Three or four days, I'm going to go on a fast. I'll tell you, if you want to spark your relationship with God, go on a fast. Because every 30 minutes, you're going to be thinking to yourself, I'm starving. Oh, I'm starving. You're going to look at food. Oh, my, I want to eat that pizza. I want to, I want to eat that. I want to eat that. I want to eat that. Every 30 minutes, it'll be coming to your head. And then every 30 minutes, you follow that thought with, God, I'm starving, but I want you more than I want food. And you will think how bad you want food 78 times an hour, which means you will be praying 78 times an hour. And what you're doing is you're causing this, you're making this statement to your body, to your flesh, to your mind, to every spirit in the world. You're making this statement to God that this pattern, the state of our relationship is no longer good enough. I've got to have more. And when you have that desire, you only have that desire because God had that desire first for you. You can't desire him unless he first desired you. No man comes to the Father unless drawn by the Son. You are being drawn. You are being compelled. This state on the inside of you, and I feel like I'm talking to somebody. I'm not talking to everybody, but I'm talking to somebody. You're done being in the season that you've been in with him. You're done. It's been good, it's been real, it's been real good, but you are ready for more. And I'll tell you, you can't get more by doing less. You got to lay yourself down and begin to make a sacrifice and say, God, I want you more than I want food. I, if, if I, I don't even want to breathe if I'm not breathing in your presence. I, and this is a call to intimacy, and this is what communion is. This is fellowship, partnership, and intimacy. And God's looked at his people, and he said, I'm no longer going to confine myself to an ark. I want to be able to talk to everybody that way. Uh, some worship leaders that used to be at our church were by the name of Jessica and Isaiah Rangel and Allie and I went to dinner with them last week just to catch up. And they have a little boy named Judah. And we we're like, how's Judah? He's like three or four years old. She go, oh, he's doing great. They told me this story. He was in the backseat of the car and he was just yapping like a three-year-old. And I'm like, tell me more because we have a four-year-old, right? And I'm like, I'm so happy to hear your kid yaps because my kid won't shut up. Um, and so she turns around and the baby was just screaming. 
and he, he goes, I want to talk to Jesus. And she goes, well, Jesus is in your heart, Judah. He goes, well, I need him to come out of my heart because I need to talk to him. And I thought to myself, oh, how many times have I thought something like that? And then this morning I was thinking about it again. And I thought the reason why he's in our heart is so that he can talk to us. That's how much he loves you. Would you stand your feet for me, please? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let me ask you about your relationship with the Lord. Nobody looking around. What's your fellowship like? What's your partnership like? What's your intimacy like? Has he been first place in your life or the back burner? Has he been an afterthought or the number one thought? Where, where has he been? Let me ask you, if your heart were to stop beating right now, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? If you want to get your life right, right now, would you just raise your hand right where you are, please? See, I see hands going up all over the room. Hands are going up all over the room. Let's all raise both hands where we are as a sign of surrender. Let's say these simple words, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Will you please forgive me? I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.